Looking back, it's been a big year for the Term Limits movement. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Term Limits movement for the week of December 24th, 2018. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. The U.S. Term Limits crew hopes you're enjoying the holidays as we are. In the final week of the year, it's worth looking back at 2018, which has been a very successful year in our renewed effort to impose term limits on the U.S. Congress. Joining us is Nick Tombalides, U.S. Term Limits Executive Director. Hey, Nick. Phil, how are you? So looking back over the last year, I made a list of notable achievements of the term limits movement, and I guess you did too. So what would top your list as the most important thing that occurred in 2018? At the very top of my list is the progress um, we've made toward getting a term limits convention of the states to propose term limits for Congress. Um, In 2018, two additional state legislatures passed term limits convention language. That was the Alabama legislature and the Missouri General Assembly. Um, And let me tell you, getting those bills passed uh, was not easy, but it was a significant accomplishment. We Absolutely. Marsh- yeah, we marshaled our resources in these states, got volunteers together, and made it happen. And, you know, my grandfather used to say, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. But we made sure that we were prepared and focused. In both of these states, we identified solid sponsors before the session started. We didn't take these states for granted. Every time the bill came up in a committee, we flooded these places with office visits, emails, phone calls from constituents, pleading with members to pass the resolution. And so, in my view, the trail has now been blazed. The Term Limits Convention has proved itself to be a fully bipartisan effort. We had bipartisan votes in both of these states, and right. now we have the careerist class in Congress running scared. Yeah, that was really exciting. No doubt the number one achievement of the year. Um, now we have three states because Florida was the first one. And then with Alabama and Missouri, now we have three. Of course, we need 34 in order to officially call a amendment writing convention under Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Um, but we've proven that this can be done. I mean, these state politicians are not voting to pass tournaments on themselves. They're voting to call for a convention to write an amendment to pass tournaments on federal legislators. I think it's clear that this is working. Uh, we almost passed a couple more, too, right? We won half of a couple of assemblies across the country. More, Actually, more. Yeah, more than a couple. Um, those, there were states where we passed a single chamber, Arizona, Georgia, Utah. And in Maine, we passed actually with a majority, even though we need a um, two-thirds majority. In those states, we have redoubled our activist presence. We've put more boots on the ground. We've done a lot more voter education programs to kind of let people know who supports term limits and who doesn't. And I think you're going to see um, very promising results in most of those states in 2019. Great. I look forward to our 2019 recap when I um, hope and expect that our top story is going to be a couple more states um, approving a application for a term limits convention. Next on my list, I had our successful pledge program. Um, As our listeners know, we have actually two pledge programs. We have a pledge that we hand out to all candidates for the U.S. Congress that says that if they win that position in the U.S. Congress, that they pledge to co-sponsor and vote for the U.S. Term Limits Amendment. And then we have one at the state level where uh, folks running for the state legislatures say that if they win the position, that they will co-sponsor and vote for 
a call for a tournaments convention. And on both of these programs, we really applied a lot of uh, effort and collected signatures from a enormous number of candidates. And a lot of them were elected to legislatures and to the U.S. Congress. Yeah, that is absolutely right. Uh, at this point, we have a, a record number of congressional pledge signers, at least for the modern era. We have about 50 in the U.S. House. That could be 51. I mean, there's a disputed race in North Carolina where a pledge signer um, might have to Mark appear. Harris. Mark Harris might have to appear on the ballot again. So that could be 51. 14 uh, of those, uh, um, 14 more are in the Senate. So we're doing very well in Congress, uh, you know, and we had a enormous number of pledge signers this cycle. We had 118 um, federal candidates sign this cycle, um, and quite a few of them got elected. Just to remind our listeners, there is really a synergy between the state convention strategy and having a federal amendment. Uh, there are two different ways to amend the Constitution under Article 5 to obtain a term limits amendment. And, you know, each of these methods actually helps increase the likelihood that the other will succeed. Because as sure. the states are consistently putting pressure on Congress, uh, we are continually building, accumulating support for the amendment within Congress and just raising the visibility of the issue, uh, making it more likely that when the states draw near to an Article 5 convention, uh, Congress could preempt them and propose an amendment of its own. And we want to make sure that that amendment is very solid, which is why the pledge these candidates have signed is for three House terms, six years, uh, and two Senate terms, 12 years. Taking every opportunity to put the case for the term limits convention in front of state legislators, Southeast Regional Director Ken Clark represented U.S. term limits at the National Council of State Legislators Capitol Forum in Washington, D.C. in early December. Clark spent some time with Tennessee State Senator Mike Bell to talk about how Bell discovered that the states can propose term limits on the U.S. Congress. So first and foremost, um, we wanted to get your take on Article 5 and right. the power that the states have. So you could, if you explain your understanding of the process. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's probably about 10 years ago that a uh, a mutual friend uh, named Mike Ferris came to my office in Nashville and sat down with me and said, said, Mike, there is a provision in the U.S. Constitution that the states have never taken advantage of. And and it was, it literally was news to me. It was eye-opening when he started showing me that there were two ways to amend our U.S. Constitution. One, through the, the way we've always done it, um, led by the federal legislature or Congress. They pass a resolution, then it goes to states for the states to amend it. But the other way was where the states take the lead to amend the Constitution and to pass a resolution, a like resolution. Uh, and then once, once they get two-thirds of the states to pass a similar resolution or identical resolution, then it can, they can have a convention and, and vote on it. And, I, and I'm going, Mike, how come I've never seen this? How come I've never, uh, never knew about this second way to amend the Constitution? And, and he said, it's just, it's not taught. It's not taught or discussed. But then when he gave me the history that there's been 700 and maybe depending on how you count them, more resolutions for a state-led uh, constitutional convention uh, passed since the beginning of our country. Uh, it has been out there. We've just not focused enough on it. And uh, uh, when he started talking to me, that, you know, telling me that, you know, Congress is never going to take the lead on restraining themselves in, in spending. They're never going to take the lead on reducing regulation because it empowers them to have more regulation. They're never going to take the lead on, on having term limits because that would limit their own 
time to serve. He said, if this, these things are going to happen, it's going to happen through the states taking the lead. And I said, I said, what can I do to help? And that's when I first got involved. Oh, goodness, and I'm trying to remember. I went to the, the first meeting that I knew of, the one that was held at Mount Vernon um, a number of years ago, and have been to just about every meeting, I think, except one that had been held by any Article 5 group in the last uh, six or seven years. And I've been very involved in it. I think it's a way the states can truly take back the power we've lost through a number of ways. Uh, Congress not recognizing the 10th Amendment anymore. Uh, us, uh, the 17th Amendment that took the power away from the states to choose the senator. Uh, now it's chosen popularly by the, by, the, by the people of the state instead of the states. We don't have anybody speaking for us anymore. This is a way the states can speak together and it's a way we can change the Constitution. And it was intended by our founders. I mean, George Mason insisted that this be in our Constitution so the states could have a way to, uh, to take the lead on changing the Constitution. Senator, Tennessee has always been a state that is a front runner when it comes to maintaining their own sovereignty. Uh, Tennessee, Texas, there are se several yeah. other southern states. When you go around to conferences like this one, what do you see as the biggest reason why states are reluctant to use their own power to fight back against the behemoth that is our federal government? I still think, even though we're much more knowledgeable about this Article 5 process than we were seven or eight years ago, there's still a lack of knowledge out there among many state legislators uh, that, that this can really be done. And you still have the pushback from these other groups, I'm not going to name them, but the other groups who are, who are organized, organized more so in some states than others who think this is going to open up a can of worms. We don't need to do this. The founders didn't intend this. They're wrong. They're wrong. This process can work. Uh, whether it's term limits, whether it's BBA, whether it's regulation freedom, whether it's the COS, we need the process to work. I think it'll scare the pants off of, off of Congress if we, can, if we can ever get this successfully done. As 2018 comes to a close, I'd like to acknowledge you and send a heartfelt thanks for the vital work you do to support term limits. We've been through a lot together this year. Behind all the hard work, calls to action, capital days, petition gathering, sign waving, and yes, some legal battles, there have been many victories that you made possible with your support. Here are some of our favorite moments from 2018. Both Alabama and Missouri passed our term limits convention resolution. Georgia and Arizona closed the session passing our resolution in at least one chamber. And we've laid the foundation in several other states to help usher our initiative through this upcoming legislative session. Among other successes, there will be nearly 70 pledge signers in the incoming 116th Congress and more than 120 state legislators who have pledged to support our Article 5 measure to add a Congressional Term Limits Amendment to the Constitution. We brought on three new staff members and eight volunteer state directors. Aside from passing our resolution through more states, we're preparing to launch a Term Limits Hall of Fame and to celebrate the first ever National Term Limits Day on February 27th. We also have 20 episodes of this podcast under our belts to help keep you better informed of our progress. Along with many Term Limits successes and some near misses, we hope you have taken a moment to tell your Democratic representative to support Term Limits on committee chairs in the U.S. House. You can do that easily by going to termlimits.com slash savehousetermlimits. When you say goodbye to 2018 and look back on all the work we've done together, remember these victories and why we fight for a citizen legislature. Thanks for staying in this fight. 
Here's to 2019. What's next on your list, Nick? Term limits won big across the country uh, at the local level, and there were some real key campaigns involved in that. So New York City, for example, citizens passed term limits on the community boards. It was 72% of the vote. That will go a long way toward revitalizing those boards and allowing for new faces to serve. Uh, In the two biggest cities in Tennessee, Memphis and Nashville, um, citizens defeated politician-driven scams to gut term limits. In both of these cases, the politicians tried to use dirty, underhanded language to trick the voters into thinking that a vote against term limits would really be a pro-term limits vote. In both cases, citizens proved to be smarter than the politicians. No surprise there. They saw through the schemes and they voted them down. Um, So there are a lot of encouraging action uh, throughout the country. It's creating momentum for the issue. When you see it work at the local level, um, mm-hmm. it, it really just has an energizing effect and makes you want to fight harder to make it a reality for Congress. Right. I like the fact that these politicians at all these levels are seeing that when tournaments pass, they tend to pass with large majorities, too. I mean, you mentioned that one with over 70 percent. 70 percent is really about the average for winning tournaments measures around the country. I think federal politicians, members of Congress, um, put their head on the pillow every night. They, they thank God that there is no national initiative process oh, oh, oh. by which all the voters of America in all 50 states could simply go into the ballot box and choose to term limit Congress. Because if that existed, this would have been oh. done yesterday. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot more difficult of a process to try to get an amendment through. Um, but just the, the sheer uh, levels of support that we see for this issue all throughout the country are extraordinary. 70, 80, in some areas, 90 percent. Uh, like Utah, for example, support for term limits is about 90 percent. Uh, there's no issue like that anywhere else in, in the country. There's no issue that unifies people like that. It's also a bipartisan issue. It unifies even Democrats and Republicans. And one of the things I had on my list is this internal debate that the Democratic caucus is having in Congress right now. And this has been the subject of our last two podcasts, but um, the junior Democrats in the Congress are calling for tournaments on the leadership, tournaments on the committee chairs. They want to see more turnover, have new faces and names in those positions of power, and they don't want to be locked out of the system for 10 or 20 years before they can have any influence. And that debate is a really serious one within the Democratic caucus, and I think that is uh, resonating with the larger group of Democratic voters across the country. I think the catalyst for that debate was Barack Obama, actually. It was Barack Obama who said that there are 25 and 35-year-olds with a lot of fresh ideas who are really chomping at the bit to go into public office and make an impact, but they can't do it because they're blocked by uh, the lifetime politicians. And obviously, you know, every uh, industry throughout our country at some point has been transformed, has been modernized for the current era. But it seems like politics is still kind of stuck in this bygone era of the past. You know, we have members who are trying to regulate uh, social media, regulate the Internet, who don't know how to turn on a computer, for instance. (laughs) You know, we, we have a lot of members who seem out of step, who seem out of touch. Uh, who seem disconnected. We've focused on this podcast before about 
how Alzheimer's drugs are actually getting shipped to Capitol Hill on a regular basis, which is quite alarming. So yeah, I, I think the argument for committee chair term limits and leadership term limits is, is very strong. Let's pass the torch, uh, whether Republican or Democrat, let's pass torch to a new generation of leaders um, who can actually come up with some creative ideas. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi says she has the votes to take back her role as Speaker of the House after striking a deal with dissenters within the Democratic caucus, agreeing to term limits on the caucus leadership, including on herself. Massachusetts Congressman Seth Moulton was among those leading the charge for term limits until this compromise was reached. Congressman Moulton spoke with host Jim Broad on the public affairs program Greater Boston last week. Because this has never been about one person. This is about generational change for our parties. When this incredibly diverse group of lawmakers won uh, the majority back for Democrats. And we want to give this new generation a chance to lead. This new generation a chance uh, to have their ideas heard. And this new uh, agreement that uh, limits the top three positions to term limits, three terms, retroactive, so this is their final term unless they get a two-thirds vote of the caucus to extend one more term, is unprecedented in a wonderful way that's going to be good for the party. Yeah, but while Nancy Pelosi says she'll honor it even if it's not voted in in February in the caucus, the other two guys who are a mere 79 and 78, and I know you don't talk about age, but I do, uh, uh, they're not, they say they're not bound by the deal. Steny Hoyer well, at 79 they, they says he has no desire to go anywhere. Well, they will be bound by the deal when the caucus votes for it. If and the caucus we, votes for right, it. Right. We, we delayed the vote until January so that all these new freshmen can be a part of that. And I'm confident the caucus will, will pass it because this is exactly the kind of reform that we need. The fact that we got term limits pass for the first time. This is really significant, and it shows that we can have this tough debate as a party. We're, we're strong enough. As the Arizona director for U.S. term limits, it is the mission of Suzette Myers to help shepherd a term limits convention resolution through the Arizona legislature in 2019. The term limits convention resolution is an official application from the state of Arizona for an amendment proposing convention under Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution limited to the subject of congressional term limits. To assist in passing the resolution, she's networking with legislators and making sure they hear from Arizonians on this issue. There was some big news coming out of Arizona this week, so we went to Suzette for the story. Hello, Suzette. How are you, Phil? I'm doing all right. Well, the reason why I'm calling you today is that I heard the news about how Governor uh, Doug Ducey uh, said he's going to appoint Representative Martha McSally to fill John McCain's Senate seat. And I want to ask you... That is correct. Yeah, I want to ask you, uh, is that good or bad for the tournaments movement and trying to get a constitutional amendment passed in the Congress? Well, what we have currently in Arizona is we had senators for life, Senator and I get elected, and unfortunately with Congress, that's the position that happens. And with Martha McSally being a pledge signer and someone that is a fundamental believer in this, she is representing the core values of 82% of Arizonans who want the open seat elections for Congress. Excellent. So uh, Martha is a pledge signer. So she signed the pledge that said that if she's elected, that she is going to uh, co-sponsor and vote for the U.S. Tournaments Amendment. That is correct. And I saw her on several instances, and she was very excited about it. She's a firm believer in it, and she knows that the people want it. What about disappointments? Not everything went our way in 2018. Uh, well, the uh, 
it seems like the state of Arkansas has been totally engulfed by political right. corruption. <laughs> and um, and a consequence of that is that the state Supreme Court um, threw our term limits amendment off the ballot uh, just before the election. This was even more egregious because this was clear and it was a simple remedy that um, gave the voters, in plain language, an opportunity to reestablish meaningful tournaments in that state because through a pretty illegitimate process that we've covered in previous podcasts, the politicians used a, uh, a deceptive measure to weaken the tournaments that Arkansas voters had imposed. And in remedy that situation, there was a very clear measure. Supreme Court shot it down, wouldn't let it in front of the voters, and we know why, because voters would have approved it overwhelmingly. There's no question about it. Yeah, and, and the court actually took issue with things that I would describe as, as fairly meaningless, like whether the person who collected signatures to get it on the ballot had moved in between the process of collecting <laughs> right. one signature and collecting the next signature, and whether they had properly right. updated their address in the database. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Point is, you know, over 100,000 Arkansans signed a petition stating they wanted term limits on the ballot. Those were not fraudulent signatures. And it is just an absolute travesty um, that the corporatist business lobbying community could come in and file a lawsuit to strike that down. Because quite honestly, they just wanted to preserve their cozy relationships with the politicians. That's all this was. And, you know, if you really believe term limits are a bad idea, then you should have no fear letting the voters decide. Uh, really, it's not term limits they fear. It's the voters and the people themselves. They fear that they will lose control the voters will, will reclaim control if term limits were to pass again. We had some um, studies that excited us this year. Uh, one of them was a uh, study that showed that term limits are correlated to increased turnout in elections, that term limits advance female representation by giving them more opportunities to run and breaking up sort of the uh, good old boy network that preceded them, and also that uh, term limits are correlated with reduced public spending. And that was one study that I'm particularly excited about in which uh, Randy Holcomb at Florida State University looked at states that had tournaments and states that didn't and found that tournaments helped create an environment of discipline where legislators spent less money. Yeah, all the predictions of the sky falling um, as a result of term limits have not materialized. Um, there have also been three papers released in 2018 showing that States with term limits have stronger economies on average than states without term limits, and that states with term limits are freer on average than those without term limits. So the evidence is in, and term limits have really been a great reform uh, across the country. All right. Well, 2018 was a great year. There was some disappointments, but mostly I think it was a uh, big advance, and I think 2019 will, will be even better. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Jim Coxworth. In Illinois, if you remember, he did a walk to popularize uh, tournaments in that state. He walked from Chicago uh, to the Capitol. And um, so that was something that happened this year of note. You said you might mention something about uh, Bob Barry. Yes, I'm, I'll, I'll do that. Um, just wanted to okay. um, say our, our hearts go out to the family of, um, of Bob Barry, who is our Western yeah. Regional Director. Um, Bob's son, Will Barry, who's a Special Forces uh, First Sergeant, was actually injured uh, overseas in an IED attack in Afghanistan. And um, he is currently at Walter Reed Hospital in Washington recovering. And it looks like the recovery efforts are very strong right now. So 
We just um, request prayers for for Will, for Bob, for the entire uh, Barry family, you know, as as they deal with this. Next week's podcast will be our first of 2019. There's no more looking back. In 2019, our number one goal will be to pass tournaments, convention bills in more states. The last two years have proven we can get these bills passed. We must keep the momentum going. Please be attentive to our missives asking you to take specific actions as we cannot succeed without applying citizen pressure on key state legislators at the key times. I look forward to the end of the 2019 podcast and boasting about what we've achieved together over the course of the year. We wish you a healthy and prosperous new year. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review. The No Uncertain Terms podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play. Absolutely. 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 Absolutely.